Chapter 21 A History of Astronomy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jerry Radka. A History of Astronomy by Walter W. Bryant. Chapter 21 The Earth. It is sometimes assumed that the Earth itself should be left to the geologist on the one hand, or the geographer on the other but the astronomer cannot afford to neglect the earth from either point of view. Geologists allege a glacial period, stating definitely that the Arctic Circle must once have been as far south as Yorkshire, and astronomy has been called upon to state a case. The ordinary cause of a shift in the Arctic Circle is, of course, a change in the obliquity of the ecliptic, which is slowly diminishing. But Laplace's investigation has assigned quite a small limit to this change, which is in the nature of an oscillation and this explanation was abandoned as insufficient. Sir John Herschel suggested changes in the eccentricity of the Earth's orbit as another possible explanation, Lagrange having indicated an oscillatory change, subsequently established by Leverrier, in the shape of the Earth's orbit, the mean distance being invariable from an eclipse to a circle or nearly so. This formed the basis of Kroll's astronomical theory of an ice age, about which, since it first appeared in 1864, much has been written. The reconciliation of the two sciences on this question has, however, been indefinitely postponed, and we need not dwell on it further. Neither need we pay much attention, from the astronomical standpoint, to the question of what is at the center of the Earth. Halley's idea of a solid nucleus is gaining ground steadily, but it was not suggested as an astronomical speculation, but in order to account for the observed difference between magnetic and true north, his notion being that the magnetic poles indicated the rotation axis of an inner solid. And yet, in another form, this very question of the Earth's interior has become of great practical interest to astronomers, though it is not the question of solidity, but rather of rigidity, that supplies the interest. It was long the custom to consider the Earth, in problems of dynamics, as a perfectly rigid body. The small value of the observed precession and nutation were strong evidence that the Earth's crust is not a thin shell, as otherwise it would respond in a much greater degree to the lunisolar attraction on the protuberant part round the equator. And though this argument, advanced by Hopkins in 1839, led to some controversy, it being urged by Delaunay that the internal fluid being viscous and the motion slow, no such increased effect would be expected. Hopkins' conclusion as to the Earth's external solidity received confirmation from another direction, the theory of tides. One of Lord Kelvin's numerous contributions to science was the deduction that, since tides are obviously perceptible, they cannot be shared in anything like an equal degree by land and water, as they would be if the earth were not rigid to a considerable extent. Carrying out a series of tidal observations suggested by him in 1868, he was then Sir W. Thompson, Professor Darwin, from the analysis of a large quantity of data extending over more than 30 years, announced to the British Association in 1882 that the Earth's effective rigidity was at least as great as that of steel. Soon after this, Kustner, at Berlin, detected an apparent slight variation in the latitude, and careful observations in selected places, widely differing in longitude, gave such confirmation that, in 1891, S. C. Chandler was able to reduce them to the concrete form of an assertion that the Earth's poles approximately describes a sort of circle of about 20 yards in diameter every 14 months. Newcomb suggested as a physical explanation that the Earth's axis of figure, about which it is bound to be rotating instantaneously, must be continually changing, owing to the successive piling up and melting away of masses of ice and snow, and even the unequal motion of the surrounding air. 
rigid dynamics being applied to the problem pronounced the theoretical period of this particular oscillation to be 306 days, or say 10 months. For an earth of steel, the time was found to be 441 days, or about half a month longer than Chandler's 428 days. It may therefore be concluded that the Earth's effective rigidity is rather greater than that of steel, a result affording independent confirmation of that of Professor Darwin. Since the adoption of Chandler's result, it has been necessary to allow for the variation of latitude in the exact astronomical measurements, and causes and variations of the period have been diligently sought. The amount is not a constant from period to period, since the supposed causes are variable, one underlying factor in all such meteorological conditions being the solar radiation, which is known to be subject to variation and is suspected to show a connection with the sunspot period. A small annual variation of latitude has been announced by a Japanese astronomer, Professor Kimura, who describes it as a shifting up and down the Earth's axis of its center of gravity, which at once suggests a probable cause in the accumulation of ice, alternately at the North Pole and the South, this being an annual phenomenon, which might be expected to produce just such an effect. It has, however, been confidently stated that the effect of this cause would be much smaller than the Kimura phenomenon, and, moreover, in the opposite direction. But the precise effect of the accumulation of ice, with the accompanying redistribution of water, might easily be different in quantity and sign from what might, at first sight, be assumed, and the behavior of the air at the poles is not known, so we may regard the matter as still open to speculation. It will be noticed that we have worked round to the geographical side of the subject, but on that astronomers have a strong prescriptive right. The first geographers were astronomers, Ptolemy for instance, and all fundamental large-scale geography, such as the determination of the Earth's size and shape by measurement of meridian arcs, has been for centuries in the hands of astronomers. In fact, the fundamental problems in all extensive surveys, as well as in navigation or oceanography, are the determination of the latitude and more important still, because more difficult, of the longitude, that is, the time, whose accurate determination is so important a branch of work of a national observatory. Geodesy, on the large scale, is a matter of great importance, and the International Geodetic Association, with headquarters in Berlin, has now secured the support of nearly all civilized countries. Much has been done since the early days of the French Revolution, when the metric system was first introduced. The unit of length, the meter, being defined as one ten-millionth part of the arc from the pole to the equator. This arc has, of course, never been measured, but meridian arcs in various parts of the world have been measured from time to time, in Lapland, in Peru, in Spitsbergen, in France, the greatest scheme being that still in contemplation, and partly executed, through the whole length of the African continent, with possible extension by way of Palestine to join the Russian arc. We cannot enter into the details of trigonometrical surveys, the special wires required for measuring, the various standard baselines, and the many other precautions necessary in such a work as the Great Indian Survey, that of South Africa now in progress, the continual work of the U.S. Coast and Geodetic Survey, and others. It may be mentioned that, in the matter of ordnance surveys, our own country is behind many other nations, but these are outside our purpose. The determination of differences of longitude between fixed stations is certainly a matter of astronomy. At one time these were dependent on chronometers transported from one place to the other, the error and rate of the chronometers being determined by astronomical observations. The invention of the electric telegraph superseded this method and led to the practice of observing a set list of stars on the meridian at each station on the same nights, 
comparing the clocks by electric signals through the telegraphic system, and subsequently interchanging observers at the two stations in order to eliminate any systematic personality. In this way, the difference of longitude, Greenwich-Paris, has been determined again and again, with a small difference between the English and French determinations. The difference, Greenwich-Montreal, once in recent years, by means of intermediate stations at Canso, Nova Scotia, and Waterville, Ireland, to divide the distance into what are practically two land sections and the Atlantic Cable, though of course the Greenwich-Waterville section also includes a submarine cable. A great arc of longitude has also been measured by the officers of the Indian Survey to connect their system with the European, and more important than all, the labors of the German Bureau, under Professor Albrecht, have practically completed a ring of determinations round the Earth by way of Japan and North America, all made with exactly similar instruments. It is in connection with this work that the Repsold self-recording transit micrometer, referred to in a previous chapter, has been used to eliminate nearly all personality. The latest development, which has not progressed much further than the experimental stage, is the adoption of wireless telegraphy for the interchange of signals, a method by which many small errors due to the system of wires, batteries, and relays may be eliminated, and the probable error of the resulting determination considerably reduced, if, indeed, the word considerably may fairly be applied to the very small residuals already shown. The error in the girdle of the earth from Greenwich to Greenwich via India, Australia, and Canada is less than a fifth of a second of time in the 24 hours, or about one part in half a million. Of late years, a simplification in the change of civil time from one country to another has found more general adoption. It was long urged that all countries should adopt a universal central meridian, and that the difference between the standard time of two countries, instead of being so many hours, minutes, seconds, and decimals of a second, as determined by the exact difference of longitude of the national observatories, should be in general an exact number of hours, or possibly half hours, chosen so as not to throw noon far from twelve o'clock over the greater part of either country. The principle being admitted, great controversy raged as to the choice of a central or zero meridian, the almost prescriptive right of the Greenwich meridian meeting considerable opposition in some quarters, on the plea that it is not central for any extensive land area, on which ground, and also to avoid international jealousy, the meridian of Jerusalem was proposed, among other alternatives. With the strong support of America, Greenwich obtained a large majority of the votes at a special international conference, and by the present time nearly all civilized countries have fallen into line, so that Spain, for instance, has adopted Greenwich time, and eastern China, eight hours fast on Greenwich. The measurement of great arcs is not the only important branch of geodesy, which also concerns itself with the variation of gravity due either to local disturbance, such as the vicinity of mountains, or to the latitude, the force on the pendulum varying as it is carried further from the equator, owing to the fact that the earth is flattened towards the poles. The amount of the compression has been determined in this and other ways, and is not far from one three hundredth. Pendulum observations, to determine the actual disturbance of gravity caused by a mountain, in order to infer the mean density of the earth, have yielded a result about five and a half times that of water a value close to that which Newton suggested. As most of the surface rocks are much lighter than this, it seems likely that the center of the earth is composed of materials either in themselves heavier or else subject to enormous pressure. There remains the earth's atmosphere, which has an intimate connection with astronomical investigations, if only for the trouble entailed in eliminating its various effects, among which may be noted variable refraction, which affects most measures of celestial objects and angles. 
air currents which interfere with good definition, on account of which it is becoming increasingly important to choose a suitable location for a new observatory, and absorption, which provides the main problem to be dealt with by the bolometer. Almost the only definite work, other than the elimination of disturbing effects, astronomy finds in the air itself, seems to be the identification of telluric lines, even this having for its principal object nothing more than their elimination from solar and other spectrograms, and the investigation of the aurora. The main interest of the atmosphere is certainly with meteorological and cosmical physics. We must pass on to regions more exclusively astronomical. End of chapter 21